All right, ladies and gentlemen, I told you that this week would be very busy, and we are sitting down with friend of the show, Anthony, who covers the Philadelphia Flyers. And I will try to do your last name, but like I told you last time, I'm no good at it. Uh, Anthony, how's the day treating you? Doing good. Doing good, Dan. How about you? You know what? I cannot complain at all. Obviously, it's Friday, and uh, we're getting closer to the weekend. And, of course, we got hockey on the go down here in the East Coast, so I'll be calling my second game tonight. A little nervous, but excited for that. So it's always good to have some hockey back at the rink. Absolutely. Um, hopefully at some point here in the future, uh, here in, uh, down here in Philadelphia and throughout most of the United States at a certain point here we'll be seeing hockey hopefully in 2021 so till then we are all kind of in our uh <laughs> we're all kind of wait, waiting and uh hoping in this circumstance well you know what I highly recommend looking at some hockey out on the east whether it's junior or the Quebec major junior league you know there's at least there's some hockey to watch gotta whet your appetite till things get back I will be definitely checking in on that. <laughs> well, Anthony, I want to ask you in one question. I mean, the Philadelphia Flyers, we talked about them last time we spoke with high hopes that they would meet the Toronto Maple Leafs in the uh, good old playoffs. Unfortunately, the Leafs didn't even qualify, getting knocked out by Columbus. But I want to get your instant perspective on the Philadelphia Flyers during that playoff period and get your thoughts on Carter Hart and anybody else who jumped off the page to you. So again, it was it's it kind of a tale of two teams for Philadelphia. And when they were in uh, their performance, certainly in the round robin, uh, it, it, it was was impressive. Again, going three and zero and managing to snag uh, the first seed in the East, going into the net, going into the, the main portion of the postseason, and they looked impressive, uh, really engaged. Um, certainly, they were getting. But the one thing, of course, I think that was concerning was that you know while the depth of their team was scoring, their main stars seemed to be struggling. And, you know, initially, I think in that early, during the qualifiers, we kind of, you know, the thought was maybe that, you know, the veterans were kind of getting their sea legs back, so to speak, uh, during that early, during the round robin. But, you know, there was some impressive work. Certainly, I thought Scott Walton looked really good in that round robin. Um, but once we got into really you know, sort of the heat of a real playoff series in Eastern quarters against Montreal. I mean, Philadelphia, again, the good part, I think, for Philadelphia is that they showed a pretty strong defense, pretty pretty solid defensive comportment against Montreal. Um, they, yeah, but again, they're playing against a team that, you know, really has done a great job of shutting down the Pittsburgh Penguins in their series. And it was pretty impressive, and they played it very distinct physical style Montreal and Philly again it was interesting to kind of watch and sort of see how they were reacting to that because Montreal came at them pretty strongly um, but again Montreal's finishing touch wasn't you know wasn't wasn't fantastic except of course obviously in game two when the Flyers got completely uh, got you know lost the game really out of hand really fairly quickly the good parts I think obviously that kind of came out again that they need for their, I think their their veteran, some of their younger players, they needed to finally get that experience of being in a postseason, uh, being in a postseason. Uh, specifically, obviously, their goaltender Carter Hart. Although, again, this is probably one of the most, this was obviously the most unique playoff debut that you could possibly imagine for a young goaltender. But again, a lot of everybody was faced with that with that scenario. But Montreal gave them trouble uh, in terms of it really kind of showed that the team's uh, the biggest area of concern, and that was even during the round robin, was 
their special teams, their power play really buttered. It was it was really playing well prior to March 13th. Their power their special teams were looking great. They just couldn't get it back. They once they once they returned the play, they really struggled in the special teams department, and that of course forced them to really try to do what they could do at five on five. And against Montreal, they were solid. I thought they were, you know, were good. The biggest thing that came out to me, as I stated, was their defensive comportment was really good. I thought the pairing of Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers really showed out really well in that first-round series. Um, and kind of the defensive pairing of, of uh, the, the normal number one pairing, obviously, of Ivan Bolgrov and Matt Niskanen scuffled a bit in that Montreal series. Uh, un- un- unexpectedly in the circumstance. And then the third pairing for the Flyers kind of was a little bit of it, was, was a bit in flux, but, you know, they had obviously Justin Vaughn, and they initially were playing a bit with Shane Goss's fair, but that became a, that, that defensive pairing uh, became a bit of a problem. Uh, so you started to see Robert Hay play a bit more, obviously, as the playoffs went on. The Flyers seemed to, at least the, the coaches did seem to not quite trust uh, Shane Goss was there. He had to get a good first game. He had a few good games. A few good, and he got a good, I think, finishing game, obviously, against Montreal. But then they, in the first, when he got, when he started the Islander series, he really struggled. And ultimately, the Fly, I think the Flyers did not feel comfortable with having him out there. So they had Robert Hagen, who was much more of a, uh, more of a safe bet, who was less likely to, um, to gamble as much uh, with the puck, and turnovers obviously were a big concern with the ice. You know, ice was getting cutting half on them. So Hart obviously, I think had um, had the full dial of, of of what I would say was the full postseason experience of. He had the highs and he had the lows as well. But I think he was in these circumstances. He did a pretty good job of recovering uh, when he did have a bad moment in the series. Uh, but I think this was really good experience for him overall. He got to sort of feel the heat of a playoff series and that of uh, uh, playing in the postseason. And I think that was really, you know, a valuable experience, even if you don't have, you know, the normal the normal environment that everybody's used to. So uh, getting into the Islanders series, that obviously Philly just seemed to be, you know, playing punching from behind. They showed a lot of heart in that series, but it was. You never quite got the feeling, starting from the first game, especially in game one. The Islanders came out in game one playing for keeps, and the Flyers looked as if they thought the Islanders were going to wade in and kind of, you know, feel have the, have the normal feeling out period, and that did not happen. The Islanders came at them hard and fast, and they seemed to struggle uh, from that point onward. To their credit, you know, and this is something that's been talked about a lot about the Flyers in recent years, especially with their with their leadership group, that, you know, when they get punched in the mouth, they do get themselves back up and punch back. But, again, struggling on special teams really added, um, added, added, added a lot of difficulty there, I think, for the Flyers, and that was a big problem. The Islanders were rolling four lines, similar to Montreal, but the difference was that the Islanders, I think, matched up with them better down the middle. Uh, certainly at the center position. The Islanders, I think, arguably, other than Tampa Bay, um, I think have underrated the best center depth in the Eastern Conference heading into the, heading into the postseason. Um, and again, they were lucky enough again that they were able to flip the switch and play the way that uh, Barry Cox wanted them to play. 
Flyers knew they had a tough nut to crack against the Barry Trotz team. You know they're going to be strong defensively. And the Islanders also got goals from unexpected places. Andy Green, for example, uh, you know, scored. Um, and you had a lot of their depth players. Um, I would say also the Flyers really struggled to keep up with Matt Barzell. Um, J.G. Pajot, known to be a flyer killer even in his days in Ottawa. Game filled off you all kinds of trouble in that series. It's just, you felt like the Flyers in that series against the Islanders were constantly trying to punch and play from behind and doing everything they could to catch up. And by the time they got to the seventh game, after being down three games to one and climbing back into that series, when you got to that seventh game, it came, became very obvious that they had emptied the tank in game six. The Islanders got ahead. Flyers did not have the jump they had in games five and six. And ultimately, again, the series wrapped up as a result. The one good thing Philly obviously takes out of it is that, you know, that their overtime record was really great, obviously, in this postseason. Um, they were up when it, when it was close, when they had a chance to, you know, up, when they were opportunistic enough, they were able to, you know, cash in and, 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 and get really good moments. But at the end of the day, the big boys in the lineup, scoring-wise, did not uh, – had, had a difficult time. Claude Giroux, uh, Jake Borchek had his moments uh, during the certainly at the latter part of the Montreal series. He looked really good in the closeout games of that series, but he also struggled. Travis Konechny again, and it, you know it, this is his second go around in the postseason, but his first as the Flyers' leading scorer. Um, he was certainly at he tried to agitate as much as possible, but struggled to get any to, to get anything going offensively. So when your big guns are kind of when your big guns are styling, your special teams are struggling. You, it, it, you have to kind of scratch and claw and get your way back in, and it was just really difficult for them to do against the Islanders. And we have to give them a lot of credit for being able to get it to a seventh game with all those issues. But now they have a lot of other considerations as they go in. What exactly is this team? Uh, they, I think most of us would acknowledge that they definitely appear to be a team on the come, on the rise. But what is it exact? Again, this postseason also raised up a number of questions as well. No, it definitely did. And I look at the um, the Philadelphia Flyers now, and I'll ask you about their offseason in a moment. And, you know, I look at the Flyers throughout that playoffs, and you're right, in the Islanders series, I do believe that they were punching from behind. And I wish, for whatever reason, they would have stepped it up. I mean, as much as I told you before, you know, Jeremy Roenick, you know, ending my high school dreams of this team, you know, Maple Leafs and that goal, and how much I dislike the Flyers at times, they're still a team that I want to see do well. I, you know, they were my second favorite team up until that one moment. Um, you know, and I look at the squad and I look at what they have coming now. I want to ask you, you know, before we jump into the the moves and all the other young players coming in, Matt Niskanen retiring was that a shock to you, or were there any indications that that was going to happen? It was a star. It was a star for everybody. I think here uh, in Philadelphia, I'm, and I understand obviously Niskanen's logic. Again, 33 years old. Um, and, but the thing is, Niskanen has played heavy, hard minutes for every team he has played for. And he, again, it, it was, I think he, he, he had, we have to take all into account, obviously, his injury that he had when he was with the Capitals. Um, I think the wear and tear on, on when, when he, with, with his last year with the Capitals, he did, all that being said, he did a really good job for Philadelphia. Um, especially, for the first time, really, Ivan Provorov had a defenseman with him that could 
trying to think and see the game the way he does, who can support what Toby does best. And that was a huge thing for Philadelphia when they made the trade to acquire Niskin. And for as much criticism as it might have garnered at the time, um, I don't think, again, the Flyers were going into this offseason thinking, you know, okay, defensively we're in good shape. And then they get the word, you know, that's it. Just, just, with everything being uncertain, and if there was going to be another potential, you know, in the future, there might have been a chance for, you know, with an uncertain start. Niskin in the flat-out thing, you know, putting himself through the type of off-season training that he puts himself through, he just, he, he just didn't have, he flat-out just said he just didn't, just didn't have it in him to do it. And you, and again, if your body is telling you that it's time, even at that age, then it's time. And again, for Philadelphia, it, it created a new um, need that they, they probably, as far as you're going in the off-season, looking at maybe looking to upgrade, potentially looking at the market market right now and I, I look at Philly and I look at a bunch of other teams that are maybe looking to make moves and uh, the Boston Bruins come to mind as well losing Tory Krug 
but we'll focus on the Flyers. I mean, there are great players still available, like a Sammy Vatnin or a Travis Hamonic. And I say those names, and I know that they would want a big flashy splash contract, but you look at the economics right now, and it's just not there. So would those guys be better suited to go to a team that had playoff success like a Philly or a Boston and, you know, sign for a one-year deal and see what the market bears next year, but up your numbers, pad your stats, maybe go on a run, get that experience. Again, also help out whatever team you're going to and, you know, be able to do that. And I look at all these players, like even a Mike Hoffman that isn't signed yet. I mean, there's a lot of players that are not scrap heap guys. They're guys that could definitely go in and help a roster. And they may have to take a short one-year deal at a cheap contract, and Philly might be a benefactory of that. It's possible, depending again. And again, Philly is looking specific for, again, and, and they made the decision, obviously, to sign Eric Gustafson to a one-year, $3 million contract. So roster-wise, he's technically a, a replacement. Now, what they like about Gustafson is the fact that, he's again, the one thing I think that Gustafson does possess He's a high IQ defense. He's a high IQ defenseman, certainly from the offensive standpoint. Defensively, um, the biggest thing he obviously possesses that'll be the biggest benefit for Philadelphia will be his ability, obviously, to see the ice. He's got great vision and, you know, offensively spring there and, and to basically be able to spring their offense, most importantly. Um, and they got him, I think, at a pretty good bargain at $3 million. Uh, but again, he signed on, obviously, on a one year deal. But in terms of it being a one-for-one replacement, true replacement for Matt Eskinen, he just isn't going to be there. As a matter of fact, his profile cross-references a little bit closer to Shane Gossett's pairs right now. The difference is, is that, again, uh, while, Gossett, while both of them are the kind defensively challenged in their main positions, uh, based on what I've seen of Gustafson playing with, you know, obviously he played pretty well with Duncan Keith, but again, Keith able to cover his back. And then, of course, with Calgary, he, I thought he had time. Uh, struggled in the playoffs with turnovers. He and Gossespierre seem to be the, the guys who kind of cross each other the most in terms of those attributes. So, to me, um, if Philadelphia is to be able to make a move of some kind here, I think they probably would be looking to move, obviously, uh, would be potentially looking to move Gossespierre. But they could very well go in the next season with both of those guys as options. Botman, I don't at this point, I think initially when I heard that Philadelphia was going to sign a defenseman within about an hour, Vodman was a consideration, but once they the announcement with Gustafson, Vodman sort of fits more on the lines of what Gustafson was brought, basically brought in to do, um, more from an offensive standpoint and less from a defensive standpoint. I do think Philadelphia is looking um, to trade, uh, to try to acquire a defenseman that way, but, but again, they have capped considerations with regards to a number of RFAs that are coming up in the next offseason. And that's kind of the consideration of where they're at right now. Well, I look at this roster, and I mean, you know, it's been said a couple of times, you know, through the pundits that, you know, Philly's going to be working out a lot of younger guys next year. Um, You know, as a Flyer fan, um, you know, what can you tell a Flyer fan that, you know, next roster, next year, this is a young guy to look out for, whether it's a Morgan Frost or, you know, who would we be looking at to keep our eyes on on the Philadelphia Flyers as a young player that might make an immediate impact? I mean, Frost is a possibility. So again, I think physically, he's close. Um, the key is trying to sort of find that. Frost is not a player I necessarily want to have to put 
again, not a large player. Again, you envision him being more in a obviously scoring line role, but he's got to get to that point too. The thing is, again, we don't know what the situation 100% is going to be with the AHL. They are anticipating, a, you know, they're hoping to have a February set start. So at that point, you're hoping to have him and other players being able to play in the AHL in however limited a situation it might be. But if it turns into a tactic squad situation and he's with the Flyers, there's, I think, potentially more of a chance during a short season that he could graft himself into the lineup. And again, we have to remember, Frost had a really good start with Philadelphia when he was first brought up. He was kind of, and Philly's still trying to sort of figure out is he center, is he a wing at the NHL level? They want to make sure, obviously, I think they want, they think his probably his greatest impact would be at center position, but they are, I think, open to potentially playing him along the wing. And again, when he was up briefly, he had a good start, but then he tailed off. It wasn't very easy for him. Um, and there's certain things about his game that still need refinement before I, I can see him being um, a, a regular on the flyer. The player, probably another veteran I would look at right now, coming out of college, is Tanner Lasinski. I think Lasinski's got a pretty decent chance here of, of coming into next season as the Flyers' fourth-line center. Currently working on down in Voorhees. Um, he was a scorer at Ohio State, um, and the Flyers drafted him very much like him. I think the Flyers, I think his profile features at the NHL level as a, a bottom-six player, uh, potentially third- or fourth-line center, or a wing, and he plays a good, good defense, good solid defensive game. Now, whether or not the offense that he had at Ohio State is going to carry over to the NHL level is something we're going to have to see. But I would obviously keep my eye out for Tanner Lucinski uh, in the circumstance. Um, amongst other forwards, the Flyers also signed um, Rasmus Sandin's brother, uh, Linus Sandin, and they're particularly high on him. Uh, they, 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 they like Linus Sandin a lot, a lot of elements of his game. Uh, he's a guy that I would certainly keep an eye on. He's a, more of a young veteran. Um, maybe you're looking at potentially kind of like a Michael Raffle type of player uh, in Sandin um, as we go forward, as we get closer, obviously, to expansion draft territory with Seattle. I think Sandin has a potential uh, potential, to, potential to be in that area. So Linus Sandin coming out of the uh, HB71 uh, in Sweden, coming over. Uh, he's playing right now over in Sweden because he needs to get the ice time in. But Stan is enough. Defensively, um, I would probably keep an eye out, obviously, on, I think on Mark Friedman, who I think did a really good job, obviously. He was a really good defenseman for the Phantoms in the past season. I think uh, Friedman, he, in many ways, there's a lot of things about his game. Remind me of Dobson, the difference is that he is, he's, he's, he's physically strong. He's strong at the point of attack. Um, I think he's going to be an NHL defenseman, whether it will be with the Flyers. I'm not 100% sure yet. Uh, but I like his game. I like his moxie a lot. Um, possibly Igor, uh, Igor Zamula uh, is another one who they fly much like much like Phil Myers, another guy that the Flyers instead of drafting signed and tur- and turned himself into one of the best defense young defensemen in Canadian juniors before he had obviously his, his back surgery. But they think they're, they're extreme. I know they're very high on Zamula. Has a very high panic point. Zamula is one probably amongst the all defensemen right now is the guy I'm probably looking at the most to potentially, you know, he, he, we're probably looking at, we'll prefer probably him to get time with the Phantoms first, but um, Zamula's definitely, he, 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 right from developmental camp, he is, he's popped off, uh, he's popped off the screen for me and for many others who watch the team as a guy that 
you know, I don't know if his offensive numbers from the WHL is going to carry over to the NHL level, but it's the other aspects of his game which give me a lot of confidence that he will be uh, going forward a regular for the Flyers. Well, that's good for the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, to have a lot of those names, and I know I get a lot of questions, you know, when I do the podcast with you or announce that I'm having you on, you know, who's coming up and who can we look forward to? And the Flyers didn't do this and they didn't do that, you know, so who's in the pipeline? So getting to know some of those names and maybe some familiarity because they might be up in the lineup sooner than later, you know, is always a great thing. And I'll ask you uh, one last question about the Flyers before I ask you about the Maple Leafs offseason and get an outsider's perspective on that. For the moves the Flyers didn't make and the moves that they have made, do you still see them having a path to the playoffs whenever that does kick off this year? I do. I think the Flyers are. I think they have. They had. They were really on a good, strong run going into March. They had. They had things clicking again. It's going to be a matter of a very unique environment, and again, coming into how well the players are going to be able to kind of prepare themselves this off season with everything going on, obviously with COVID nineteen. Uh, conditioning is really, really the most conditioned. The team that's the most conditioned coming into the season is the one that obviously is going to have the biggest, the, 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 you know, the ability to make the jump forward. And I'm very, I'm, I'm very confident in Philadelphia's ability to be back in the postseason again this year. Um, again, especially when you've got enough young players, I think, to reinforce within systems uh, the, you know, the the veterans that you have. Uh, already now, again, the window for some, I think, for some of the veteran players on this team is beginning to begin beginning to maybe shorten up soon, and we're going to be probably eventually seeing a bit of a change, a, a changing of the guard within the next few seasons, possibly. Uh, again, especially since again, with Chuck Fletcher, will have his own ideas on the players that he has right now. Whether he sees any diminishing returns with regards to some of the big names. Uh, that are still obviously there. Uh, but again, I think this year is very much also very much a wait to see and they want to evaluate how Giroux is going, how Voracek is going, how the old guard is grasping themselves with the younger line, with the younger members of this lineup, and that will be something that we do have to keep an eye on. Do I think it's a case where I think they're going to either any of those players are going to be traded this offseason or next? Not necessarily, but I do think there's a constant evaluation that is involved. Well, 100%. Now, the next bit I want to ask you about, and I mean, this is a complete outsider's perspective, and you touched on this when we talked about this going into the bubble and everything about the Maple Leafs, you know, their ability to win playoff rounds and be playoff ready um, and, you know, have that playoff grind mentality, and you didn't think it was there completely. Um, now I want to ask you, Kyle Dubas goes out this off season and, you know, picks up a TJ Brody, picks up a Joe Thornton, a Wayne Simmons, a Zach Bogosian, tries to address that bottom six and also the defense um, you know, shore up in front of Freddie Anderson. I got to ask you, from your perspective, Anthony, do you think the Toronto Maple Leafs have done enough to dispel some of those demons that'll, you know, fell them in the playoffs, but also throughout the regular season where they need to get a little pushback? Oh, I like no, I like the moves that the Leafs made this offseason. I genuinely do. They hit the exact area again. You're looking for for any of the criticism that comes with signing older veteran players that you're going to play in your bottom six again. All you have to do is point to the Dallas Stars and say, hey, it's not a copycat situation, but you've got veteran players who have had a lot of experience to have helped to with their own experience. That's one of the biggest areas when I look at the, when I look at, at Toronto with, the, with players who have been kind of through, you know, through playoff wars and have been through a lot and can help the younger and help augment the younger players that are in your lineup. I love the Thornton sign. 
signing. I think it was a perfect fit for where they're at right now. He also got every bit of motivation in the world on a, on a team that's on the rise here that he can be a key element to that. Um, I look at the Simmons signing. I, I want I, I'm, I'm, on Simmons. I'm hoping that we see at least a glimpse of the Simmons that we saw in Philadelphia for Toronto because if he is approaching that player, I think it's a huge acquisition then. But the key thing is, is that he has had a lot of he's had a lot of hard time that he played with in Philadelphia, and I want to see kind of where he is going to be at. Uh, some of the other acquisitions again, the Brody signing I thought was very good. Philadelphia was actually looking very closely at Brody, uh, but the contract for them was a little bit uh, too much, I think, in terms of the term. I think they would have been okay with that cap hit, but they have a certain plan with regards to where they're at. I like Brody's fit, though, in Toronto for sure. Uh, the Bogosian side I thought was great. Uh, again, with, again, understanding where Eric Bogosian, uh, understanding where uh, he is in, at, at this point of his career, back Bogosian, Eric Bogosian, the actor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, again, in this circumstance, I like, especially on that contract, I think it's a great, I think he's perfect for what they, again, essentially need. They got they got bigger, they got heavier, um, and then overall, the one area that I am kind of in, like, still in flux on was the goaltending situation there. I do have my, I like Freddie Anderson, but he has these moments in the postseason where I don't, I, I become a bit concerned about him. Um, and for me, I'm, I kind of was looking at Toronto if they weren't going to make the big splash out to try to get, um, to try to get Alex Petrangelo in, uh, that they might have invested some money in this circumstance, maybe, to, or to, to kind of figure things out. I think they were at least potentially looking at a possible replacement for Freddie. But again, the hope is that with a short up team throughout their bottom six, uh, I think an improved blue line, a, a, a better, I think a better blue line that's got a more of a, again, a bit more of a more postseason moxie. Then in that circumstance, maybe that helps out Freddie not having to feel like he's going to be out on an island, you know, basically out on an island trying to save, you know, trying to trying to save the Leafs playoff hopes that with a better blue line in front of him that's got more postseason moxie uh, and physicality that it will be there'll be a better team as a result. So I genuinely like what the Leafs did in this offseason. People can make fun of some of the things that they've done, but I, you know, in terms of older players, but. I'm completely, again, I'm on board, especially with those players as, you know, the backbone that helps to push up the young stars on this team, getting, trying to make that key playoff push. And I, as I said to my colleague, Mike Algello, who's, uh, Mike, uh, who I do the podcast with on, on Off the Post Radio, um, I said to Mike, you know, for that criticism, I, again, at the end of the day, Mike and I have been talking about for years how Toronto needs to have some level of veteran presence. Um, for their bottom six, that helps to push up the younger players. That helps to push up the younger players in their lineup. I think Dubas did what he could, and now it's going to come down to obviously Keith uh, and everybody else in terms of uh, getting those pieces to grasp on quickly and to finally get Toronto to where they want to get to. Well, two points I want to ask you about on uh, one on Wayne Simmons, and we'll ask you something on Jimmy VC. But I look at uh, Wayne Simmons and I say, okay, you haven't played maybe in almost a year if the February puck drop is when we're talking. So you're talking 11 months, no hockey. 
Um, that's got to do a guy that's played some hard miles and plays a hard style. It's got to do him a world of good. And I mean, we talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and having, you know, one of the best medical staffs. You look at Tyler Ennis coming in early when he came to the Leafs, Jason Spezza, and they all rave about it. So that can only help. So I'm wondering, do you think that'll be a good thing for Wayne Simmons? Obviously the rest of the things will, but do you think that'll get him back to a certain degree of what he was in Philly? Back, but I think what you're going to get from him will be better than what was, was last year with the Devils and obviously with the Sabres. Um, I just feel that in his circumstance, for the role that he's going to play, I think, for, for, for Toronto, any rest uh, for him at this point, I think, is a good one to kind of recoup and get himself up. And again, he's playing in a bottom six role where ice time would not be anywhere near as heavy as it's been in the past. It would be occasional if you feel like swinging him up to second line, if you're trying to balance out a line and feel like he's going to provide something. Then I think that's going to work. Then I think that has a chance to work out really well. And I'm glad you mentioned, obviously, uh, DC as well. Because, again, I think that was, you know, if you were looking to replace Casperi Kapanen, I think that DC is actually a pretty solid piece to have in place, I think, uh, to at least, maintain a speedy game and he's going to, again, he's also going to have all the motivation in the world as well. DC was also another player that I was kind of looking at as a possibility for Philadelphia as a depth forward um, to augment, but obviously his connections in Toronto, with Toronto uh, were motivation enough for him to go there. So, again, I think, yeah, I, I think the time off can, can be a boon in this circumstance for a player like Wayne Simmons. And the, the reason why I ask about Jimmy VC, I mean, I'm glad to hear that about Wayne Simmons, but uh, I look at Jimmy VC, and we just talked about this a couple moments ago for the Flyers. I look at Jimmy VC as taking this contract, and, you know, it's a, I got to bet on myself, and I got to make sure that I do well this year. And, you know, what better place to try to do that than a place that's got a bunch of offensive dynamos and Matthews and Marner and Nylander and Tavares, and you name it, you know, and a team that's trying to prove something, and you can be a part of that. And if you end up being some sort of cog to that whole thing, then teams look at you differently and maybe you get that little bit of a push to, to get your next deal, especially with the flat cap. So I think there'll be a lot of guys betting on themselves, but I want to ask Anthony before I let you go, because I know you're short on time. Um, the NHL is looking for a January 1st start date. Obviously a lot of people don't think that's going to happen with all the announcements around other leagues. Do you see the NHL coming back in January or will we be watching hockey starting in February? My gut feeling is, I think February is probably more likely. I think January is a hope, but um, there, I always felt like you know there was the possibility of starting things in January, but certainly a possibility. I just with the patterns of things that are going on right now, we're about to hit November, and without really any, I, I just feel like the risk right now would probably be a bit too great. I think for the league, uh, they're going to they, they want to obviously not have a truncated season. They could. Theoretically, if they get into February, somehow squeeze in the 82 games and get into some kind of a postseason. My gut feeling, though, realistically, is that um, that's a little, that may be a bit, that may be a bit of pie in the sky right now for the league. My gut feeling is that your hope for January, but as we get I, again, I think as we get closer to the point where you're supposed to have a training camp, um, that you know they may wait till we get to close to the new year after, you know, and after the new year to give their players a bit of a runoff. Plus, again, the possibility of more time for, you know, that for some form of vaccine development to occur in that time frame. 
So in my gut feeling is, I don't think it was a coincidence that the AHL mentioned February 5th, um, and I wouldn't be shocked if that also tends to, if that ends up being the direction that the NHL goes to. So you mentioned there for a second about the 82-game season. So you think they may try to squeeze in the full 82? I think if they do, they're going to be extending it well into the summer. So you're looking at hockey, uh, heading in. And they, listen, they already have it in place. I mean, they, they, they sort of had it in place, but I don't think they, they, they kind of took a break and then came back in place starting in August. So there was some, you know, some recovery period. So my gut feeling is that they're going to, they, they want to do it. It's just, <laughs> it's just how realistic that's going to be is, 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 is something. And my gut feeling is I don't think we do get to I think there will be, there will be a truncated schedule probably more likely. Well, I have been long saying that the NHL probably wants to have a shorter season, and the only reason why is you have Seattle sitting in the wings waiting to do the expansion draft, and you want to do all these things on a normal timeline, so you want to finish your playoffs in June, you want to get that expansion draft in, your regular draft, and then your offseason to set up next year and have Seattle come in with all the gusto and, and glory that the uh, Vegas Golden Knights did a few years back, so... I think the NHL has huge motivations there as well to get everything done on a normal timeline. I, I agree with you, and that's one of the reasons why I get it. They, they, can, they can give you that publicly, uh, that they want to go to 82 games because you have shareholders to consider and everything else, but the shareholders aren't stupid either. They know the scenario, and they know what's going on and what's realistic. So, um, again, that's where I kind of look at things. I think February is a far more likely start. And I believe that it'll be some form of a truncated season. Well, I'm looking forward to whatever the next season brings. And Anthony, when we do get closer to that, I'd love to get you back on and preview the Flyers and gear up the season for uh, the Philadelphia Flyers and also the Toronto Maple Leafs. But, sir, it's always great to have you on and spend some time talking hockey with you. That was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as you heard, that is uh, Anthony Mingiani. And I hope I didn't butcher that, Anthony. Um, obviously talking about the Philadelphia Flyers, Toronto Maple Leafs, and what will become of next season. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk. 